everyone, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Good Great to have you here. Yes, Thank good you. to be here. This week, our Prairie Doc topic is orthopedics mm-hmm. and bones and joints and how to keep those healthy. Um, so we're going to be talking about that today. And of course, we need to talk about COVID-19 vaccines yeah. and kind of where we're at with those too. So if anyone has questions about any medical topic, uh, get us your call in now so we can address that during the next half hour. And that's at 605-692-1430. Maybe we'll start with where we are with COVID in our community and the COVID vaccines um, and how that's going here. Yeah, so I mean, I I think uh, in Brookings County, we we continue to make really good progress with vaccines. And and as most people know, over the last couple of weeks, uh, vaccination has opened up to all people over age 16. So um, there's really no restrictions. Any adult um, has the ability to get vaccinated, even, you know, young, healthy people. So that's really, you know, I think we did really well in Brookings County getting our population over 65 vaccinated at high rates. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a little more challenging to make sure we're reaching all of those young and healthy people who maybe haven't thought as hard about, um, about vaccination. Mm -hmm. You know, this came upon us a little faster than we expected. I wouldn't have guessed back in January that we'd be able to vaccinate everybody, you know, in Mm mid-April. So, you know, I don't know if we, if it's a little sooner than people were ready to make a decision on this or not, but I I would really encourage our, our younger adults to think about getting vaccinated and get signed up for a time. I, I've hear this argument like I'm a young, healthy person yeah. and I don't feel at risk for COVID-19. So why do I need a vaccine? Yeah, right? like, I think there's a, so there's a lot of good reasons. I mean, number uh-huh. one is still to prevent yourself from getting sick, you know, okay. I mean, get it, even if you're young and healthy and you have a mild case of COVID-19, it still means you having to be on home isolation for 10 days and possibly your family. I mean, at, at the very least, it's a big inconvenience to get infected. Mm-hmm. Um, we have started to see some people who were who were infected you know in the fall of last year come in with reinfections it's not common okay natural immunity is pretty good after after covid-19 infection but we have seen people get a second infection so you know one reason that people might put off getting vaccinated is that they've had infection in the last 6 or 12 months um, and i would i would urge those people to rethink that and probably think about getting vaccinated um, anyways because we are seeing a little bit of of those breakthrough infections. The other big reasons, so I mean, and the other thing I would say is we have seen more young people in the hospital. I mean, our, Mm -hmm. our you know, our hospitalized numbers are far down from where they were in November and December when we really had our biggest surge in South Dakota. But a high percentage of our people in the hospital now are, you know, younger people that maybe didn't have any reason to think that they would get very sick with this virus. So it, it can still happen, though it happens at lower rates than in older people. 
Mm-hmm. But more than that, you know, the the theory of vaccination is really to help your community too. So the more people we vaccinate, the fewer infections we'll have both in the vaccinated and unvaccinated population. So this is like we've really been pushing for the last year. This is, you know, doing things in your own life that benefit your whole community. And vaccination is part of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um and, and just, you know, we, we all want so badly to get back to doing the things that we have not been able to do. And, you know, I think once you're vaccinated, you have good reason to think that you can start really doing some of those things and, and having very low risk about doing that yourself. Mm-hmm. But also as a community, the more people that get vaccinated, the lower our rates will be and the more things will be able to open up to, to large crowds again. I mean, we still really can't confidently do large crowd things from a public health perspective but if we can get people vaccinated and get our rates really down near the floor i think we can safely start thinking about doing some of those things again laura Mm -hmm. it takes everyone though Mm -hmm. it's so exciting to think we're at (laughs) that point we're at that point i know and we're very close you know i mean i think like i said anyone can sign up and get vaccinated Mm -hmm. um and so if we can if we can reach those people i i really have have hope that in the next one to two months we could see those rates really bottom out mm-hmm. if we can get people vaccinated. One of the interesting things I've been learning a little bit more about as well is with the mutations and how getting everyone vaccinated or as many people as we possibly can will help decrease the mutations. You want to talk a little bit yeah, about that? So and and this is sort of basic, you know, microbiology. I mean, as the as a general principle, the more infections that exist the more opportunities these virus this virus has to change Mm -hmm. so uh, you know the the fewer infections we can have at a given time the less risk we'll have of having more mutations and certainly this is something that you know there's been a lot of fear in the media and and you know that i don't stay up at night worrying about the mutations myself laura but there you know, it would be a bad scenario if there was a mutant virus that suddenly didn't respond to our vaccines. Mm -hmm. So the faster we can get population in our community and really in the whole world, I mean, this is a global thing when we're talking about mutations and and the danger of that. Mm -hmm. We really have to get mass vaccination to reduce the odds of that. It's purely a numbers game. Mm -hmm. The less infections, the less opportunity for change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so we need to get our vaccines and help help yes, prevent that. Yes, and all we, right. And there's we have pl- we now have plenty of vaccine. I mean, you know, I think that it wouldn't be hard for someone to find in the next week a vaccine appointment either at the POD at the Swiftel Center or at a pharmacy in town. Um, there we we have vaccines available. So if you haven't gotten it yet, call around and, and get an appointment. Okay. Well, we thank you for listening today. And as we talked about earlier, we're going to be talking a little bit more about COVID-19 vaccines. So if you have questions about that, or we're going to um, then switch our focus into orthopedic issues. So if you have questions about that, give us a call at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Shingles, also called herpes zoster, is a painful rash disease. Shingles can lead to severe nerve pain called postherpetic neuralgia that can last for months or years after the rash goes away. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. 
If you've had chicken pox, you can get shingles. Almost one out of three people in the United States will develop shingles in their lifetime. You can get shingles at any age, but it's more common in older adults. Older adults also are more likely to have severe disease. The Center for Disease Control recommends that people age 50 and older get the shingles vaccine called Shingrex. Set an appointment to discuss shingles with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, Dr. Evans was talking to us about the importance of all of us getting our vaccines and what that means for for others, how we can, how us getting a vaccine helps uh, prevent the spread Mm -hmm. and the mutations of um, COVID-19. Dr. Evans, could you talk to us about the what we're seeing regarding the safety of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of news starting last week about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which currently is sort of on pause. Mm-hmm. What I would say about that is, so these, these clotting events, for, for the reason for which this was put on pause, very rare, very, mm-hmm. very rare. You know, a handful of cases over many millions of doses distributed. But it's it's a serious out, outcome, and so I think that what I take from this is that it gives me a huge amount of confidence in our surveillance system to pick up on bad adverse effects because, like I said, these are tiny in number. So the fact that we the reporting of um, of adverse events after vaccines picked up on these this cluster of cases gives me a lot of confidence in the system that we're using to try and pick up these adverse effects. Um, and and these these clotting events have not been reported among the mRNA vaccines. So Johnson and Johnson vaccine is a different type of vaccine. It uses an adenovirus. The this these rare clotting events seem to have only been seen with that type of vaccine so far. We've probably in the U.S. just. Um, dispensed a lot more mRNA vaccine and we have not seen this type of clotting problem with it. So we don't have any reason to think that there's going to be overlap in that. I think the the CDC is being very, very cautious as far as putting this Johnson & Johnson vaccine on cause given the small number of cases. But they also see it as, you know, a reason to really you know, we want people to have confidence in the system of picking this stuff up. Obviously, we 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 really want people to have confidence confidence in that system in this situation. And so, I I think they're they're probably going about it the right way with with a lot of caution. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, yep. um, there aren't any safety concerns at this. Not point. not yep. in regards to this clotting event. We still certainly we still see adverse effects. Mm-hmm. Um, things like sore arm and and maybe a day of. Um, muscle aches or even a low-grade fever, chills, that kind of thing. Um, But none of that has changed with these recent events. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And so one more time, if we haven't gotten a vaccine yet, yeah, how do I get one? Yeah, so there's a few ways in Brookings County to get one. One, um, you can go to the brookingshealth.org website, and there should be a link to sign up for this point of dispensing event, which are happening again um, tomorrow, I think. I don't. I, I guess I don't know if there's still spots, but there probably are mm-hmm. actually at this point, um, so that you could go to the Swift Health Center and get an appointment for that. But um, our pharmacies have also had good supply, so you can call any of your you know your local pharmacies around town to see if and when they might have doses available and an appointment time too so there are multiple places to be able to do this at this point in time 
And how much does it cost, Dr. Evans? It's zero dollars. <laughs> right? we, yes. uh, we, you know, the, <laughs> the federal government wants everyone to have the opportunity to get vaccinated if they want to with as few hurdles as possible. And so you would expect zero cost. Mm -hmm. It's all I've heard from the people I've talked to is how easy it is, yeah. how well run the pods are, or even at the pharmacies mm -hmm. or at the clinic where yeah. everyone seems very organized and it's a smooth process. And yeah, we've been doing it for quick. a few months now. So mm -hmm. everyone's kind of got, got their processes figured out. I agree. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right. Well, we're going to move towards um, orthopedic questions now. All right. Um, our periodic topic this week is orthopedics. And uh, Dr. Evans, your essay this week uh, talked about um, the importance of preventing falls. Yeah. So if you missed Dr. Evans' essay, it's in Monday's Brookings Register or in hundreds of other newspapers <laughs> throughout the region or on the Prairie Doc website. So why is it so important that we prevent falls and what do you recommend we do to prevent them? Yeah, so, you know, the falls, Falls happen mostly on accident. Sometimes they happen because of medical things or, or things going on. And the majority of falls don't result in any major injury or problem. But as people get older, there just becomes a higher risk of a fall becoming what I would call a medical catastrophe, you know, mm -hmm. a fractured limb, a fractured hip. In, in, this, in the case of the example I provided, a fractured ankle. Um, with, if, if other things are kind of coalescing and making it difficult for someone to recover from that can really cause an abrupt decline in, in a person's health if, if it means they're not going to be able to walk for a while. So if there are things that can prevent falls, then by all means, we want to do them, especially in those high risk patients, elderly and, and, and weak and frail patients, especially. Okay. And so, I mean, th those things can be vast. I mean, there, you know, a lot of it might have to do with how a person's home or apartment is set up, you know, a rug in the wrong place or a piece of furniture in the wrong place could set them up for um, having a high risk of fall. Maybe it's someone who uses an assistive device like a walker or a cane, but they don't use it in a way that helps them the most, or they use it in a way that could actually present a fall risk like tripping or something like that. These are all really great reasons to utilize our physical and occupational therapists. And so a segment tomorrow will have um, it, it, some, some information about physical and occupational therapy and how those people really help us assess a, an individual patient, what are their risks and how can we help them reduce their risk of having a bad fall. So what are some of the things that a physical or occupational therapist would work on with yeah. Patient. So occupational therapy does a number of things, but one of the things that they do in regards to fall prevention has to do with like a home visit. So they will actually okay. go to patients' homes and and look through sort of their, their typical flow through their house and identify things that might put them at risk. So, and so they might identify things that maybe should be changed or taken away, but they also can identify places where they can give improvement. So a common place would be the bathroom, you know, mm -hmm. grab bars in the bathroom and some really simple modifications that can reduce people's risk of falling, you know, in the shower or tub or whatever. Um, so that's a great example of what our therapy teams can do. Physical therapy might be focused on some other things. So physical therapists um, can teach a person to use an assistive device in the right way or identify what would be the best assistive device for someone to use? Is it someone who can do well with a cane? Is it someone who would do better with a walker? What type of walker? And that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, there, like I said, the reasons for falls can be, I mean, there are many of them. Some of them might include strengthening. So PT might identify um, large muscle group weakness for which some home exercises might actually improve that person's stability when they're walking. Um, or it might identify, you know, is there a joint that's unstable and maybe there's something that we can modify about how the patient uses this 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 leg in a way that puts them at, at less risk. Mm-hmm. So it's really a global assessment of how someone is able to move their body and, and what things might set them up for the most success. Balance is another yes. important part mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And is that something you can work on and what yeah, so balance is complicated. So, yeah. you know, balance relies on a lot of different processes in our body. So I'll give you a few examples. So if someone said, comes to, to my office and says, I, I feel off balance, I feel like I'm kind of leaning when I walk, it could be a number of things. So it could be something going on in the person's brain. You know, maybe that person has a, a history of stroke or other neurologic disease, and that might set them up for a balance problem. It might be that they have neuropathy or numbness in their feet. And, and when you have numbness in your feet you can't necessarily feel how your feet are moving in space and and touching the ground and that can cause balance problems it could be muscle weakness you know you need a certain amount of uh, large muscle strength in your uh, you know thighs and abdomen and back to hold yourself upright mm-hmm. and so and it's many different things can affect balance and so it's sometimes it's really helpful to have a therapist or a PT assess the patient to try and figure out what is the biggest part of their problem and how can we help them with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and there are things we can do to help with all of those things and sometimes you know in the case of neuropathy for example we can't fix the problem most of the time, but we can do some teaching that helps a person be more aware and be able to sort of overcome that with foresight and and reduce their risk of having a problem with it. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our second break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. It is important as we age to add strength training to aerobic exercises. These activities will help you build strength, maintain bone density, and improve balance, coordination, and mobility and reduce the risk of falling so that you can stay independent and perform activities of daily life. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings about strength training and get started today. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We've been talking about falls and how to prevent those falls and orthopedic issues. And um, Dr. Evans, let's talk about osteoporosis. What sure. is it and how can it be prevented? Yeah, so so osteoporosis is a medical diagnosis that can come about in a couple different ways. So probably the most common way is a numeric value based on a DEXA scan. So this is a, a scan of bone density. It's kind of a special, you know, 
x-ray type of scan. And it looks at the bone density um, of some key bone groups. And basically it, it compares it to what a healthy or, or normal or average, I'm ho holding some quote marks up with my fingers here, um, is, and if it, if it is statistically way lower than that by, by a, a value that we call a T value of negative 2.5 or less, then that defines osteoporosis. So that's one way that osteoporosis is defined. It's also osteoporosis, we can make a diagnosis without that type of scan if someone has a fracture when they really shouldn't have a fracture. So maybe they, they fall just from a chair and, and fracture a hip. That would define osteoporosis without even doing a DEXA scan. Or something like a compression fracture of the vertebrae with a minor injury. Those type of things tell us that people have low bone density without having to do the scan. So there's kind of two ways you can make that diagnosis. Um, what to, as far as preventing it, so there's a few things. Like many things, there are some things that are out of our control and some things that are in our control. Probably the biggest thing in most people's control is to be doing regular weight bearing exercise throughout one's lifetime, you know, not waiting till, you know, you're in your seventies to start thinking about this because sometimes the, the cat's out of the bag by that time. Um, so weight bearing exercise is important. We talk about calcium intake, and I would say we're we're starting to lean away from encouraging every postmenopausal woman to be taking calcium supplements. It's actually better, you know, we absorb calcium much better if we get it through our diet. So I tell people to, you know, if you eat a little dairy or something that contains calcium, start looking at the labels. If you consume 1,200 milligrams a day of calcium with your normal diet, you probably don't need a supplement. Um, and 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 so to not everybody necessarily needs a calcium supplement, especially if they eat some dairy. Um, but adequate calcium intake, adequate vitamin D. So if people do have low bone density, we might check a vitamin D and see if they need supplementation. Again, that's not everybody needs vitamin D supplementation. Um, but those are the things that people can do. And then there's, you know, like I said, something's out of our control. Genetics are out of our control. Mm -hmm. Your age is out of your control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you have another medical condition like um, rheumatoid arthritis that puts you at higher risk. Maybe you've had to be on prednisone for some other medical condition. Those things put you at higher risk. Smoking also puts you at higher risk. So, you know, if, you're, if anyone's looking for another reason to think about quitting smoking, bone density could be one of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you, um, you talk about the importance of calcium and vitamin D, mm -hmm. can that make a difference once you've been diagnosed as well? Or is that more preventative? It's probably more preventative okay. or on, on the spectrum of, you know, we certainly want people who have low bone density to, to be mindful of those things. Um, but it's probably even more effective in, in preventing decrease the that decreasing bone density okay so yeah. if you have been diagnosed with osteoporosis what can you do yeah. to so so if you find you have osteoporosis this is one of those tricky things in which you know it's a condition it's a diagnosis in which a patient in most cases is not going to feel the diagnosis so mm -hmm. we talk about things there are things that can be done to reduce risk of a bad fracture in people who have osteoporosis and those things can be taking a medicine like a pill once a week or some of these are injectable medications now um, that reduce your risk of fracture. But this is this is a pretty individualized decision again because you know we can look at the data and say based on your bone density on the DEXA scan, we can estimate that you have a 20% risk over the next 10 years of having a bad fracture like a hip fracture or a vertebral fracture. 
and we can put you on medicine that will reduce that risk. It doesn't take the risk to zero. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, what, what that me- also means is there's an 80% chance that over the next 10 years, you aren't going to encounter a fracture. So that's a very individualized decision. You know, not everybody that gets that data will say, yes, I would love to take a medicine for something that may or may not happen to reduce my risk. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people who say, you know what, I watched my mom go through a hip fracture. And if there is something I can do to reduce my risk, I absolutely want to. So that's a, to me, that's a very individualized conversation with one's primary health care provider and not necessarily a one size fits all decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And earlier you mentioned the importance of weight bearing exercise. Can you tell us more about what that means? Like what, yeah. how do we practice that? What yeah. So, I mean, I, walking is a very basic weight bearing exercise. Every okay. time you walk, you're, you know, putting some, some pressure and, um, and stress on your large bones and your legs, for example. So walking is a great place to start. Um, but you know, it's, it, it can be helpful to, um, keep, keep good muscle tone and do things like, you know, some light weightlifting exercises and stuff like that. So for my people who, you know, are at risk of very low bone density and maybe they're already walking, I might say, well, something you might be able to do would be to add a little bit of strength training um, to to your usual exercise regimen. Mm-hmm. And that can be helpful, probably more helpful than things like, um, you know, bike riding and stuff like that. That isn't necessarily putting stress on your bones. For some people, that's a great form of exercise because it also doesn't stress the joints as much, Sure, um, but maybe doesn't help with bone strength as much. Okay, Mm -hmm. excellent. All right, well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. If you have any questions for us, give us a call at 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. A stroke occurs when a clot blocks the blood supply to part of the brain or when a blood vessel in or around the brain burst. In either case, parts of the brain become damaged or die. Stroke can cause weakness or numbness of an arm or leg on one side of the body or even one side of the face. It can also affect speech, language, vision, memory, emotions, and behavior. Talk with your provider about stroke prevention. Call the Vera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500 for an appointment. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, if someone is considering a joint replacement, what risks and benefits should they consider? Yeah, so this is a really complex and individualized decision, I think, in most cases. And the most common joint replacements would be like a knee replacement surgery or a hip replacement surgery. Most common reason people will do that is because of osteoarthritis, which again, that's just a very common thing as people get older. So there are various things to consider, you know, and and there's not a perfect criteria that a single, any, any given person should adhere to. So for example, when we look at joints on x-rays, which is how we usually see osteoarthritis is just on a simple x-ray. There are some people who will have severe bone-on-bone arthritis, but just don't have that much pain. So it's an x-ray doesn't tell you if you need a joint replacement surgery is what I'm getting at. It really okay. it has to do with how you feel mm-hmm. and how much that 
arthritis is affecting your ability to function. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's issue number one is how, how bad is it in your day-to-day life and what kind of things does it prevent you from being able to do and how important are those things to you. Um, but then on, on the flip side, it's there are, you know, the, the risk, obviously this is a surgery and, and do, what are your other medical um, problems that might make surgery riskier for you? Or maybe you're otherwise pretty healthy and a great surgical candidate and that doesn't weigh heavily on your decision. And then, I mean, the other things is how much do you stand to benefit? So that that varies very much based on sort of your other overall health. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if it's someone who maybe they have bad heart or lung disease and so they have they can't be very active because of limitations placed on them by that, they may stand to benefit less from something like a knee replacement because, you know, they're not going to go from not being active because they need to being very active when they have a new knee. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, the, the benefit that someone might stand to get from surgery might be less in that situation compared to a, someone who's otherwise healthy and really, you know, is limited. They can't walk more than a mile because of their knee. And if they had a new knee, they might be exercising a lot and going out and being more active. Mm-hmm. So very much individual, you know, I think discussion with your orthopedic surgeon that you're consulting with is very helpful. And I think, you know, to some degree, consulting with your primary care provider about decisions like this can be helpful because they kind of know that picture of your overall health and what they might expect. Mm-hmm. And the rehab, you know, for various surgeries, you know, it's much better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not nothing either. You know, there's yeah. there's a recovery and rehab period that goes along with most joint replacement surgeries, especially with knee replacement that, you know, it's not always a walk in the park. So it's nice to know what you're sort of should be expecting after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you're healthy enough to yeah. do that. Rehab. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what are some options you other options you could consider if you decide or what should you do before considering yeah. surgery? So, yeah, great question because arthritis, you know, the first treatment of arthritis often has to do with just anti-inflammatories if you can take those. I mean, there's a lot of people, especially later in life, that have contraindications to taking something like ibuprofen, but okay. that's often the first thing that we offer if people are able to. There are joint injections and and a joint injection like a steroid injection of a knee, for example, is a really low risk intervention. Not everybody is helped by it, but a lot of people are helped by it and might get by for months or years with that strategy too. So there are definitely things short of surgery. The surgery is kind of the last resort, Mm -hmm. but tends to be a curative treatment. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to watching tomorrow night's show on SDPB with Dr. Evans, and she will be discussing protecting and repairing your bones and joints with Dr. Keith Baumgarten from the Orthopedic Institute. So you can tune in for that tomorrow night, April 22nd at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.